Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here tonight. If you are new to TNL or haven't been with us in a while, my name is Shayna. I'm the teaching intern here. As most of you know, my full-time gig, though, is as a grad student at Denver Seminary. Um, and last year, I was in this class that I was super nervous for because it was notoriously hard, and I really didn't want to flunk out of grad school. And on one of the first days, the professor goes, okay, there are a few things that you need to know to do well in this class. Number one, the odyssey. And I just immediately froze. And I could hear my high school English teacher in my head saying, if you do not pay attention now, you will regret it. And I was like, this is the moment. I don't know anything about Homer. I know nothing about Odysseus. I did not pay attention in high school English class. And now I'm gonna fail grad school. Consequences are real. I was warned, I didn't listen. I'm sorry. And so I spent the next like six weeks on Spark Notes trying to figure out like the Odyssey and what it was about and what I missed and what I needed to know to pass this class. And then over a month later, like an embarrassingly long amount of time and freakouts later, my professor comes back in, he goes, okay, midterm is coming up. We're gonna review the things that we need to know. Number one, the Odyssey. And he writes this word up on the board and put it up so you can know that I'm not that silly. But I was sounding it out and I was like, the Odyssey. That sounds an awful like the Odyssey. And so I lean over to my friend in this class and I'm like, excuse me. Um, has he been talking about this the whole time? And the guy goes, tell you about what? And I was like, has he never once mentioned the Odyssey? And my friend goes, why would he mention the Odyssey? And I was like, exactly, thank you. Which then led to my next question of what the heck is the Odyssey? Because obviously that wasn't familiar to me either. Um, and he proceeds to tell me that the Odyssey is basically the study of the problem of evil. How do we as believers reconcile the fact that we have a good, loving, protective God, and yet there is evil in the world, and we go through really, really bad things? And in that moment, right, it was technically just an academic term, but it meant a lot to me to hear because those were questions that I was asking and I was struggling with. When I moved to Colorado, I came here because I thought God had called me to be a pastor, and I felt like God was telling me that Denver Seminary was where I needed to be, that I needed to come learn about him, and it was gonna be so great, and we were gonna go on this adventure together. And then not long after I moved here, a particularly scary individual who is literally twice my size singled me out and began to follow me and intimidate me to the point where I, I had to switch my class schedule. I couldn't go outside alone. I had to get an escort to my car. I had to leave some friend groups. I ended up completely having to move where I lived, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to the police, the, the whole bit. And it was hard period, but what was hardest about it for me was that I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like he brought me here and then just left me. And so when my friend told me what the Odyssey was, it was the first time in a while that I hadn't felt alone, that it felt like there were enough people 
with this question and with this struggle that they had dedicated an entire area of study to it. So tonight, the Odyssey is what we're going to talk about a little bit. Because like Justin said in his prayer, here at TNL, we want you to feel safe. We care about you. We care about what you're going through. And we know that a lot of you probably have gone through or are going through really hard things. And if not, you know or love somebody who has. And we want you to know that this is a safe space. And it's okay to bring your questions here. And so we're in this like mini series on parables. Last week, Phil walked us through a parable on greed. And today, we're actually going to look at a parable on theodicy because Jesus talks about it too. And so if you can open up your Bibles to Luke 18 with me, the verses will be on the screen, but I think it's great to open up our Bibles because then if we ever want to go back to the story, we know where it is. Um, I was just about to tell you the page number, but that won't work because you don't have my Bible. Um, but it's only $5 on Amazon, so if you want to get this one, I can send you the page numbers ahead of time. So we're starting in verse 1, and we're just going to go through this first little short story today. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now you may be thinking, Shana, you just told me we're going to talk about justice. Jesus clearly says that this is about prayer. But actually, when we're thinking about justice, we shouldn't separate the idea of prayer from justice because Jesus's believers didn't, and I don't think that we were ever meant to. The reason Jesus is saying to keep praying and not give up is because that's how Jesus's believers went to God for justice, right? They couldn't just like sit down with God for coffee or like send him a letter. They were like, God, I want justice. And they talked to him through prayer. And there were people at the time who were saying, Jesus, you're talking about this great God who loves us, who wants to heal us and protect us. But my life has not looked super great. And you're telling me that God will save me and protect me, but he has not yet. So will he? Is he actually good? And so to encourage them not to give up, Jesus tells this story. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared nor cared what the people thought. And some important historical context there is that judges then weren't like judges now, where they're like lawyers who like go to work and then go home and that's just like all that they do. They were basically the social urban elite. Like they ran everything. And so this judge didn't fear God or care what other people thought because he had no reason to. He was literally king of the town. And then there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him as in the jerk face judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And so this widow is basically the opposite of the judge, right? The judge is on the top of the totem pole. He's got everything going on for him. The widow is at the bottom. We talked about this a couple months ago, how like women didn't really have any legal standing. Um, so typically if they went to court, they had to have a man come and represent them. But this widow is all by herself and she just keeps coming back. So she has nothing to stand on whatsoever, but she's there. And that's what we know so far. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, I love the idea of this like hardcore woman coming in and pummeling this guy. 
I don't think that the attack was meant to be literal, so feel free to take that more as like her wearing him out or her like socially damaging his reputation. If you really want to take it as physically violent, I suppose you could. Um, but basically, she persists so much that he ends up giving her what she wants, even though he doesn't care. And courtrooms weren't like they are now, you know, where it's like calm and focused and everybody takes turns. They were like these crazy, chaotic, wild, noisy messes. And so for her to be loud enough that he had to hear her repeatedly, that she was so annoying that he was like, fine, take what you want so you go away. This woman had to be something. So we've got a jerk judge who doesn't care anything about what anybody thinks. And then we've got this poor widow who's all alone, but is hardcore enough that she still gets what she wants because the judge doesn't want to deal with her. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. There are quite a few things we need to say here before we finish up this story for tonight. So first of all, the first thing that Jesus is doing here is he's drawing a comparison between the unjust judge and God. He's saying that God is basically the opposite of what we see in the unjust judge. So we've got this like rich guy who doesn't care what anybody thinks and only gives people what they want so that he doesn't have to deal with them. Whereas God sees us as his chosen ones and promises us, us justice from the get-go. Comparison of personality. And along with that, what he's saying is, if this unjust judge is willing to give this woman what she wants just because she won't leave him alone, imagine how much more a loving God is going to do for you when he's listening to you day and night, caring about what you say, when he's viewing you as his chosen people, which might sound like I'm just saying, don't worry. If you're upset, God is going to fix it. God promises he's going to fix it. But there's a really important part in this section right here at the end that I just said, where it says comma and quickly in verse eight. If we actually look at that word across the New Testament and the way that it's usually used, it's actually supposed to say suddenly which is similar to quickly, right? A lot of times it means the same thing, but here it actually doesn't because quickly means like now, like I will quickly continue talking so that none of us have to stand here and stare at me while I just don't say anything. But suddenly is different, right? Suddenly doesn't necessarily mean chronologically right away. Suddenly means that when it happens, it's going to happen fast. And this is actually a theme that we see repeatedly throughout the Bible, where there are periods of years and times of silence from God where it feels like he's not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, some dramatic miracle happens and he comes out of nowhere and wha-bam. And that's actually what Jesus is talking about in the section right before the story that we're looking at tonight, where he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man and his return in the future and how people are going to be suffering and there's going to be struggle. And then all of a sudden, the Son of Man is going to come and make everything right. And so why that different word makes a difference for us is because, and this is where I think we get to the question 
that Jesus wants us to think about together. When we're thinking that God is gonna come quickly and that God is a God who is gonna act right now for us and then he doesn't, kind of makes God look like a disappointment, honestly. And it kind of makes us wonder where he is and why he would make a promise that he's not gonna keep. And for some of us, maybe we start to view God as an unjust judge, someone who just doesn't care. I know people in my life who would start to view God like a vengeful punisher who's mad that they haven't done something right and is taking it out on them. Or for people like me, sometimes I kind of view God as a really good God who cares a lot about people, but maybe just doesn't care about me as much as he cares about everybody else. And what Jesus is trying to say here is that that's not true, that God loves us and that God hears us and that he will give us justice. And when he does, it's going to happen fast. But we have to have a right understanding of God to know what that's going to look like. And that's why he finishes off with this last sentence. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? The question of the odyssey, will our struggles with injustice and the things that we go through and the things that they hurt us, things that hurt us, will they cause us to lose faith? Will we stop believing in God because of what we've gone through? And so I think that the core question really that doesn't answer everything and doesn't fix anything, which I wish that I could fix everything. I wish that anything that every single one of you is going through, I could tell you a sentence and it would all feel better. But in my experience and in what I see in the Bible, that's not really how it works. But I think what Jesus is asking us is when we face injustice, how do we view God? Do we still view God as a loving God who chose us, and then try to reinterpret our experience through that lens? Or do we automatically default to God is unjust, God doesn't care about me, God is mad at me because I messed up? And if we choose to go the loving God route who cares about us, I don't think that that's easy or that it fixes everything. But I think that it's a way to keep engaging in the relationship with him instead of disengaging. I learned this year that I'm somebody who tends to disengage because when I get hurt, it can be an easier answer for me to just step out so that I don't have to deal with it anymore. But I think that if we choose to keep engaging with God, he's inviting us into a process of growing in relationship with him, right? If God is a good God who loves us, who is going to give us justice like he says. And if we're having a really hard time and things are not fair and life is brutal, somewhere in there is this wild tension that we have the opportunity to step into to get to know God better, to find a depth that's beyond just a superficial give and take relationship. God loves me and I trust God so my life is perfect. I think there's something realer and fuller in this picture. And like I said, I don't think that it's a quick answer or that you're gonna leave here tonight and feel like everything's better. But when we saw in the verses, right, that widow, she was crying out for a long time. When Jesus talks about the son of man returning, that's at the end of days, that is not tomorrow. And so I don't think that it's a question that we have to answer tonight.
But I think that theodicy is a big idea. It's a hard question that if we choose to step into, we can begin to process now, and instead of disengaging, we can work through it together. That's been one of the biggest things for me. When I was having a really, really hard time, when I was going through my stalker situation a couple years ago, I couldn't even go to church for like four months without crying because what I felt like God had done to me felt so unfair that I wanted nothing to do with him. And I wouldn't say that I found all the answers, but as I've re-engaged with church and with people in the church community, I have found so many amazing stories of people who have been through things way worse than I've been through and who have this amazing relationship with God because they chose to keep stepping in and they chose to keep asking God questions. And because they did that, they were a safe space for me. They were people that I could talk to that made me feel less alone. And so I would encourage you, if this is something you struggle with, ask yourself that question. How are you viewing God? And don't feel ashamed about it. It's a question that we all have to ask. We're all not gonna have the perfect answer. But ask yourself why you feel those things. If you think that God doesn't love you because you did something wrong, why do you think that? How can you talk about that with somebody so that they can be there for you? If you are somebody who currently is not struggling and is really happy with where you, got, you and God are at, that is amazing, and we want to celebrate that. And I would encourage you to be a safe space for someone who's not to let them know that it is okay to process these questions. If you're someone who's come through the other side, maybe share your story with somebody. I think that it is an inevitable part of our life that we are gonna go through something really, really hard that feels really, really unfair. And when we get there, we have a choice to make. Are we going to view God automatically as a bad guy and step away from him? Or are we gonna say, I know that God is good and I know that God is just. And so what do I do with that? And how can I look for people to support me during this time? And how can I be okay with the fact that it's not an easy answer and it's not an easy fix? So as you go out tonight, I have nothing for you that you can pin on your fridge or you probably don't feel a ton better, but just think about it please. And if you want somebody to talk to, you can talk to any of us. If you're not sure how to get in touch with us, we all have emails. We all have cell phones. You can also message us on our Instagram. Phil, I, and Nikki Joe are all on there, and we would love to get back to you. If you know somebody in your life you want to talk to, maybe give them a call. So I'm going to pray for us, and then Phil is going to come close us out. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you that we have each other and that we can have some sense of surety that you are with us, even if we don't know what that looks like, even if we don't have the answers, God, just that we have the freedom to continue to step into a relationship with you, to ask those hard questions and to know that you will be with us in it. As we go into this week, please help us be people who seek encouragement and give encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.